John chapter 3 and verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now discussion arose, some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. And John answered, A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God sent utters the word of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. The Shrinking Baptist. We are learning who Jesus Christ really is through our study in the book of John. The Apostle John wrote the book to demonstrate who Jesus is by recording his words, by recording his works, by recording his miracles, and by showing forth his teaching. And by reading the gospel according to John, we learn who Jesus is, and thus our faith is built. That is why John wrote the book. He told us, at the end of verse 20, that these things are written so that you might believe and that by believing you may have eternal life. We are learning who Jesus really is. I think we forget him. Jessica's talking about remembering the Lord on, on Sunday mornings during Sunday school. What's, what's she trying to get us to do? She is trying to teach us that we are to remember how great God is, how good God is, the great things that God has done for us and why we should therefore worship him. And we should also remember who Jesus is what Jesus did, how important Jesus is, the fundamental truth of his persona and what he accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection, how he redeemed us, how he cleansed us, and how he gave us eternal life through him. Amen. We are to remember these things, and I keep going back to the fact that I think that as a general rule, most churches, most Christians have forgotten this. Yes. I think we've gotten caught up in the politics of the day. I think we have gotten caught up in the materialism of the day. I think that we have gotten caught up in our day-to-day -day struggles and our day-to-day -day anxieties that we forget who we serve. We forget who loves us. We forget Jesus, and we forget his very character and his nature. So we are going through the book of John because if we can remember who he is and we can trust him that much more than trying to find a Bible verse to tell me how to deal with the fact that there's too many bills for my money is not going to be that big of a deal. We're going to know that we're going to be provided for. Mm -hmm. 
that trying to find a Bible verse to teach me how to get my kid to act right is not going to be as big of a deal because we're going to have a Christ-centered life and a Christ-centered family. In our passage today, we see a setup happening. John is baptizing. People are coming to John. He's preaching the gospel to them. He's baptizing them. Up the river a ways is Jesus. Jesus and his disciples. Gospel is being preached. They're baptizing. And this Jew comes to the disciples of John. And I kind of imagine this as being kind of a taunting visit. Kind of a ha-ha. Kind of a what's going on. And when, when this Jew comes up to the, John's disciples, he says, hey, that other guy's baptizing. Jesus is baptizing more people than y'all are baptizing. We wouldn't know what that's like, would we? Hey, that church at the road has more people showing up on Sunday morning than your church. That church up the road, they've got a, a bigger ministry, a bigger missions program than your church. They put on a Christian concert at the football stadium. What are y'all doing? We're like, we got hot dogs. But they're good hot dogs. They're the all-beef kind, right? John's disciples and this Jew are having this conversation. They're debating purification, that is, baptism. And this Jew is pointing out that Jesus is baptizing more than them. And this is a provocation. During this discussion... The Jew is trying, the Jew, and I keep saying that, this more likely was a Pharisee. This Pharisee wants John's disciples to know what's happening. He's getting one up on you up there. And for the Pharisee, this is a big deal. Because Pharisees, it was all about them. The Pharisees wanted to have a bigger following. They wanted to have more influence. They wanted a better seat at the table. They wanted to be seated in a more prestigious place in the Sanhedrin. They wanted to be appointed to the more powerful committees. They wanted to pass through the bigger churches. They wanted the power. They wanted the influence. And they gained power. They gained influence by building followings. And so who was the most important? The one who had the most followers. The one who had the most people that would show up to hear him preach. The one who, had, who sold more books than everybody else. Maybe they didn't do book sales back then, but we see that in today's culture. The one who sold more books, the one who had the movie deal, the one who had the syndicated talk show. And this is one reason they didn't like John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist comes out of nowhere, he starts preaching the gospel, and the people start flocking to John because they recognize that he's a prophet. And who is this guy? The Pharisees didn't like John because John didn't go to seminary. He didn't play the game the way they played it. He didn't, go to, he didn't get a college degree. He didn't go to an accredited seminary. He didn't sit under a highly respected rabbi to, to do his internship. He didn't put in his time. He didn't pay his dues. He didn't come from the right family. And yet this guy's out in the He don't even wear a suit on Sunday. You ever seen John wear a tie? John the Baptist didn't wear ties. How can he be a preacher and not wear a tie? And he's out there, in the, he don't even have a synagogue. He's out there in the wilderness, and people are going out to the wilderness. We built this nice two-story facility in Capernaum. It's like one of the best synagogues in the world. 
And he's out there in the desert, and they're going out in the desert to hear him preach. He, John, his mere existence and the fact that people went to him to hear the gospel and to hear the news of the coming of Jesus, of the coming of Christ, drove the Pharisees nuts. And so Jesus shows up, and now Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more than John. And so this Pharisee's like, you're not such hot stuff now, are you, sunshine? The observation that John was losing followers was a celebration that John's ministry was in decline. They didn't like Jesus anymore. But at least they can point to this guy and say, you're over. Your 15 minutes is up. If you're one of John's disciples, you're like, hey, this kind of stinks. It's over? And they go to John, and they ask him about it. And John responds, and this is what we want to learn. John responds by reminding his disciples of the sovereignty of God, that everything is happening in God's provision, in God's will. The second thing that John reminds them of is the point to the ministry in the first place. For John the Baptist, the ministry was never about him building a following. He was building a following for someone else. And finally, he reminded them that it was Jesus who they should be believing in and placing their faith in, and not their teacher, John the Baptist. So let's talk about the sovereignty of God. Okay, y'all know everything happens in God's provision and God's will. In verse 27, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. The growth in the ministry, the following, the multitudes that were coming to John to be baptized, they were God-given. God gave him that following. God, through the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was active in the earth at this point. God, through the Spirit, drew people to him by taking them to John the Baptist where they would hear the gospel, where they would repent, and they would be baptized. The Lord gives. We can have nothing at all unless the, unless the Lord gives it. And the Lord gave John that following. And the Lord gives, and we know the Lord also takes away. Amen. We don't like that so much. We like the Lord giving. We don't like the Lord taking away. But the Lord takes away. And since Christ, the only begotten Son of God, was on the scene, it follows that the Lord, that the Spirit, that God would send the crowds to his only begotten Son. The, the, the ministry that John the Baptist had, the fact that he is mentioned in the scriptures, the fact that Jesus Christ himself would go on to say that there was never a better person born in the world than John the Baptist, that's a gift from God. God gave that. God set that up. God placed him in that position. Everything we have, the Lord gives. Everything that is taken from us, the Lord takes away. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is in control. The Lord is doing everything. People tell me, especially when I'm, when I'm, when I'm stressing, they say, Leland, why don't you just believe? And if you believe, the Lord will show up. And I tell them, the Lord has already shown up. He's already here. He's already running the show. And so whether my life is spared, if my life is spared, the Lord showed up and he delivered me. If that robber at the 7-Eleven points the gun at me and pulls the trigger, the Lord has already shown up and he's delivered me just in a different way and in a way that Jessica would not prefer that he deliver me. But he's there. 
Whether we live, the Lord has shown up. Whether we die, the Lord has shown up. If the money comes in, the Lord has shown up. If the money does not come in, the Lord has shown up. If our country prospers, the Lord has shown up. If our country goes into the darkest depression it has ever seen, the Lord has shown up. The gifts we have are God-given. Success and victory are given by God. Not by your own power. Jesus told Pilate. He said, Pilate, you could have no power over me unless it were given to you from above. Jesus told us that he is the vine. That we are the branches. And without him, we can do nothing. We cannot build a congregation without Jesus. We cannot lead anybody to salvation without the spiritual work of Jesus. Amen. And you know what? We're, I'm going I'm to drop this bombshell on you. We're not even here to build a church. You're like, whoa, what? Hold on. <laughs> We're not here to build a church. Why do you think we don't? You know how churches have those attendance numbers up on the wall? Here's how many people showed up to Sunday school. Here's how many people showed up to morning worship. Here's our offerings today. You know we don't have that board? I haven't, wanted, I haven't taken the time to go to Mardell's and buy one. But the other reason is, it's not important. It's not important how many people were here. It is important who is here. But it's not important how many. And I have found that when I quit counting, and counting was a requirement when we were on mission support, but it's not a requirement anymore. And I found that when I quit counting, we've had more full houses not that every seat has been filled, but that I've been ex- more excited to see everybody when I'm not worried about how many seats are empty. You see what I'm saying? We're not even here to build a church. We're not here to build an organization. We are here to worship. Amen. We are here to fellowship. We are here to grow in our fellowship with the Lord and our fellowship with each other. We are here to grow in our faith. That's why we're here. And we take up the offerings and we coordinate with each other to reach out into the community with the gospel so that others can be saved, so that we can disciple others. Everybody played a part in the outreach. We had those hot dogs and the snow cones. Everybody played a part. I mean, Brother Wayman showed up and helped us corral. Sarah showed up and gave me her tailgate so I could actually have a tailgate to tailgate on. That was huge, by the way. My knees, thank you. Y'all were here to welcome people, to encourage people, to let everybody felt welcomed. And then when everybody went home, y'all all stayed and swept. Y'all know what a bit, what a blessing that was to be able to walk into a church building on a Sunday morning after an event like that. Fifty-eight people showed up. One saved. One's growing. We have names and addresses of people to follow up with to disciple. Wow. We really had a great idea, didn't we? No. Who wakes up and decides they need to drive across town for a hot dog? (laughs) No. The Lord drew, I mean, 58 people. Now, the big church may, you know, they may say, oh, that's cute. For us, that's a harvest.
They weren't. So Isaac's friend comes, and he calls his mom and says, hey, I'm going to this, thing, this back-to-school thing at this church. She goes, oh, we're already there. <laughs> and they, they had not planned on this. The Lord just brings everything together. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the sovereignty of the Lord. The Lord does it. The Apostle Paul said, I sowed. We need to sow. All right, don't, don't get mixed up in the fact that God does everything. That, that means that we don't need to do anything. I mean, you have to give God something to bless. Yes, amen. Paul said, I sowed. Apollos watered. We sow. We water. We work as a team. But God gives the increase. I wake up in the morning. I go to work. Pick up the phone. Make phone calls. I'm sowing. I'm watering. But the fact that there's even a job there in the first place, the fact that that paycheck hits the bank account, the fact that there are people that will actually say, yes, Leland, we'll let you sell us a life insurance policy, that's a miracle to me. Um, that's God giving the increase. Amen. Spiritually, we can neither be saved nor can we thrive spiritually without the Lord's blessing. So that's why we repent. That's why we live in this, this heart of repentance and faith in the Lord. We turn to the Lord for that blessing. We trust the Lord for salvation. We trust the Lord to transform us into the people he intended on us being. We trust the Lord to bless the spread of the gospel. We sow, we water, but we must trust God to give the increase. There's plenty of opportunities to sow coming up. Early high school has a homecoming. Part of the homecoming tradition is they have a parade. Y'all know where the parade goes? Right down the street here. Y'all ever been here on a Wednesday night when the parade comes through? Yeah. Our parking lot is prime parade viewing real estate. We have an opportunity there. I'm not saying we get out there and preach during the parade, but we do have the opportunity to, to connect with and to minister to people. We trust God to give the increase. Yes. Physically, we recognize that all provision is God-given, and we thank him for it. Amen. We plant the seeds, we go to work, we try to make good financial decisions, but it is God who makes it grow. You have two men, identical men, they both come up with the same business idea. They both take the steps to make their business successful. This one prospers, this one doesn't. Why is that? God gives the increase. And the one that prospers isn't necessarily the one that God is happy with. Sometimes God's will is working in the life of the one whose business idea didn't work out. You do all the right things. You know how many times I've talked to people who did all the right things and it didn't work out for them? It's all in God's hands. Well, what if the harvest doesn't come? It's all in God's hands. We trust him through all of that. So we look at the sovereignty of the Lord. Everything that we have, everything that's given to us is God-given. And if we don't have, it's because God didn't give. And if God didn't give, it's not because he's withholding. It's not because he's holding out on us. The Bible says that all things work together for our good. Everything that God does for us, he does for our benefit. So if he blesses us financially, then it's for our benefit. If he doesn't bless us financially, it's for our benefit. Jessica says the reason God doesn't give us all the money we'll ever need today is because he wants us to trust him and he uses that fact that we've got to wait for the next paycheck to hit to pay the bills. We, we, we learn to trust him in the interim when we do that. 
We trust him. We trust his sovereignty. We trust his provision. And secondly, John the Baptist reminds his disciples of the point to the ministry. Here's Jesus. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I was telling you about. This is the Messiah. Tells us that back in John chapter 1, all right? We're in John chapter 3. John the Baptist still has disciples. I'm not going to lie to you. That one has me scratching my head. Later on, John, later on, John the Baptist is going to send his disciples to Jesus to ask, Are you the one we should be seeking, or should we seek another? I'm still scratching my head. John the Baptist still has disciples? friend of mine went to a football game, Texas Tech versus UT. They're out in the parking lot tailgating. The, one of the guys that had a bigger tailgate set up comes up to him and says, hey, if y'all will watch my stuff during the game, I've got a big screen TV set up. You can watch the game there, and y'all can eat all the stuff from my tailgate you want. Just don't let anybody steal my stuff. And so they decided to just stay out in the tailgate. What's the point of that? Except free hot dogs, I guess. <laughs> Seems to be a running theme with me. Um... But like, why would you go to a ball game just to watch it on TV in the parking lot? Right? You bought the tickets, go into the stadium. Enjoy that full experience. John the Baptist still has disciples. This baffles me. When we get to the part where John sends them to Jesus, I'll tell you what I think John was trying to do there. But John is talking to his disciples. He said, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him. John the Baptist was sent to prepare the people to meet Christ, to announce the coming of Christ, to point out who Christ is, and to direct people to Jesus Christ, their Savior. That was John's life purpose. That's why he was born. That's why he had this ministry. Therefore, it follows that if John was going to do that ministry, then he would be pointing people to Christ. And as John pointed people to Christ, they would be leaving John and they would be following Jesus. In verse 29 and 30, John said, Therefore this joy of mine is now complete. It's working. What I was looking forward to is happening. The plan is coming together. Yeah, everybody's going down the river to follow Jesus. That was the point. That's what we were working for. I once asked a football coach, I said, isn't it hard? Because they were three rounds deep in the playoffs. I said, Man, that must be hard having to like work on, the, on Thanksgiving Day because he's having to practice with his team on Thanksgiving. I said, having to work on Thanksgiving like that? He goes, Leland, this is the goal. We, you know, we, 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 we want to play football on Thanksgiving weekend. That means you did something great. Y'all are looking at me like, that's insanity. I agree with you. But for this coach, missing Thanksgiving was the point. I hope his team had those six-legged turkeys that... The, but anyway, but John is saying, that's the point. This joy of mine is now complete. The plan came together. I saw God fulfill his, his promises. Therefore, he must increase. Christ must increase, but I must decrease. I'm not going to have as many followers. I'm not going to be the talk of the town anymore. It's all going over to Jesus as it should. The Lord's following must increase. John's profile must decrease. And this is something that is totally unnatural for those who are minded like the Pharisees. We live in a world where people want to build up their own followings. We have Facebook. We have Instagram. We have TikTok. We have YouTube. We have Twitter. 
We had parlor. Don't know where that went. Yeah, I do actually. But we, all these different social media applications. Who's got the most followers? And there's nothing wrong with social media. There's something, well, okay, let me rephrase that. You're not a sinner if you have social media. It's okay to use social media. But like when your craving is for more social media followers, what gets me shared? What makes me go viral? What makes me famous? This is, this is, what, this is what 19 and 20-year-olds live for. They're not doing it on Facebook anymore. They're TikToking now. But this is what they live for. He must increase. We must decrease. Which means that if you do have a thousand followers on Instagram, you, meet, you need to be directing them to Jesus. Christ must increase. We must decrease. We have to learn to set aside our natural desires for pride and esteem so that we can lead others to the Lord. It's not about what we think. It's not about how we feel. Brother Brooks used to always tell us to stay out of the 67th book of the Bible. And he'd say, Leland, what is the 67th book of the Bible? Because Revelation's number 66. <laughs> what is the 67th book of the Bible? I'd say, concordance? <laughs> no. I'd say, maps? No. Glossary? Leland? No. 67th book of the Bible is I think. There's a reason that's left out of most printed copies. We need to stay out of the 67th book of the Bible. It's not about what we think. We're not trying to impress people with our theological excellence. We're not trying to impress people with our openness and our, and our tolerance and our welcoming and the fact that we're not like all those other stuck-in-the-mud Christians. We're not trying to impress people that we're theologically sound and we're not like the name-it-and-claim-it Christians. It doesn't matter how they think of us. We're here to point people to Jesus. Amen. He must increase. We must decrease. It's not about people accepting us. It's about people accepting the Lord. Amen. Like John, our joy should be fulfilled when we see people follow Jesus. Yes. I never like to see someone leave the church out of conflict. I never like to see somebody leave church because I offended them. I have to accept it when what offended them was a, was a biblical principle. But something I did, non-biblically related, it hurts me when people leave the church over that. I start rethinking everything I do, believe it or not. But when somebody leaves the church because they're following the Lord, he's called them to a ministry, they're able to serve and help this other church over here, God's leading them a different direction, I, I hate to see them go. You know, I mean, but I'm not hurt by that. We have to be willing to see people follow Jesus in places that are not where we are. He must increase. We must decrease. And when we see people follow Jesus, our joy should be fulfilled. Amen. And finally, we are reminded to believe on Jesus. John says in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life and notice that that's has that's present tense so when you believe in jesus you have eternal life it's not something you'll attain someday it's something you've already been given you're not going to die you're going to pass away 
we're not saying pass away because we're afraid of the D word. We say pass away because you're just passing through a portal from one life into the next. I hate to see people go like that too. You know that? The Lord calls a man into ministry. He leaves our church. I hate to see him go, but I'm glad he's following Jesus. Amen. A man feels that he is able to help another church in a greater way than he's able to help us, so he follows the Lord over to that area of service. I hate to see him go, but I'm glad he's following Jesus and that he's going to minister to others and others are going to know the gospel. When I see my loved ones close their eyes on this earth for the last time, I hate to see that, but I'm glad to know that they're with Jesus. Amen. I've been going down memory lane here pretty bad here lately. I'm cleaning out my grandfather's house. It's on the market. It's going to sell. I've gotten three offers. I've turned them all down because people are trying to lowball me on this thing, and I, I know what I have. And they, I'm going through all of the stuff that my grandfather thought was precious that he stored up for family history and my dad to make sure it was protected in a farmhouse that was falling down, sealed off the boxes of this information. And I'm gathering this stuff up, bringing it to Brownwood, so that it doesn't convey to the new owner who's going to throw it in the dump. And I'm looking through my grandfather's Bible that was given to him in 1954 when he and my grandmother first wed. His high school yearbooks, um, just documents. Wait, what am I, why am I talking about this? Oh, yeah. Hate to see him go. Hate to see him go. Sorry. God gave me a minute on that one. Um, whoever, let's go back to eternal life. Whoever. Granddaddy's got eternal life. He's sitting up in heaven, and he don't have dementia no more. So he knows his name, and he knows my name. Amen. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, if he, came, if he came back, he'd probably tell me that all that stuff in those boxes really isn't all that important. Mm -hmm. Just follow the Lord. Amen. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Amen. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You have eternal life. You will not die. You will simply pass on. So how do you get that eternal life? You believe on the Lord. What is believe? Believe is faith. Faith is trust. Trusting in the Lord's forgiveness that he obtained your salvation on the cross, that his death on the cross brings salvation from the wrath of God. You are trusting that. You are trusting that. You're not trusting yourself. You're not trusting your obedience. You're not trusting your godliness, your holiness. The good works that you do, you are trusting what Jesus Christ did on the cross to get you into heaven. Amen. I am going to go to heaven because I know that Jesus Christ paid for my sins on the cross. Mm -hmm. I'm a weird preacher. I'm kind of quirky. I do dumb things from time to time. But I know that whatever I do, I'm being welcomed into his kingdom because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. Amen. I fail a lot. Do something for like, why'd you do that? I, I can't explain it. I've actually learned that I can get out of trouble with Jessica quickly if I just say, you know, I can't explain that. If I try to justify it, there's a spiritual lesson there. Trying to justify things before God leads to the same results. <laughs> Trusting the Lord's forgiveness that was obtained on the cross, that's what brings salvation from the wrath of God. Without that faith, without that trust, the wrath remains on you. So you're either here today and you're saved and you have eternal life and you're going to be with the Lord or you're on your way to hell. You're not on the fence. You're not standing at a crossroads. You're either on one road or you're on the other road. The question this morning is, do you know the Lord? Have you trusted him for salvation? And if you have not, let today be the day that you turn from your sin and you believe and you trust him for your salvation. 
And as you trust him for salvation, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you will learn to trust him in all other areas of life as well. John the Baptist is not worried that his numbers are down. He's not looking at his third quarter earnings report saying, oh, this is not good. John the Baptist knows what the, what the mission is. The mission is to get people over to Jesus. People are going over to Jesus. He's okay with that. No one can receive anything unless it were given to him by the Lord. Unless God gives it, you can't receive it. That's right. So we just need to trust him. That's right. What he has provided for us and what he has not provided for us. The way he has provided for us, it's good. Trust him. Believe him. Let's stand.